This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler room. <laughs> and we are live here on the spoiler ah, room. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everyone. It is another episode of the Spoiler Room. It's March twenty third, twenty sixteen, I do believe, and we've got another big four O special. These are the ones that you folks voted on near the end of last year. We've got about seventeen of these planned, hopefully, and it's number four tonight with the nineteen seventy six Christopher Lee Hammer film. To the Devil, a Daughter. And tonight I've got a great crew assembled to talk about uh, this film. First off, the one and only Cole Meredith is back with us. Hello, Cole. Hello, Mark. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, we're glad to have you here. And next to him is the new man himself, new as in Northeast Wisconsin <laughs> Film Festival man, the Bowtie Ferret, Mr. Paul Salzar. Paul, how are you, sir? I'm doing really, really well. Great to hear, and next to him, the one, uh, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, he is here once again, Mr. Scotty D. Hi, Scott. Hi. And ladies, calm <laughs> yourselves and hold your panties, because the doctor is in the house, and he wants to play with you. Great to have you back in the spoiler room, Doc. Woohoo! It's good to be here, and beer to drink music to is a confusing label. Beer to drink music too. That's what this is. Oh, you're drinking beer to. Oh, wow. Well, uh, there you go. Play some music for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something Doctor Detroit would have. I don't it know. does. <laughs> that thread alive. So, if you're not familiar, folks, with our big 4-0 specials, we are looking at films that are celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. Yes, films from 1976, and let me tell you, there is quite a selection of great and interesting films. And so tonight, it this is one that definitely falls into both those categories. It stars Christopher Lee, as mentioned before. According to the IMDb's, an American occult novelist battles to save the soul of a young girl from a group of Satanists led by an excommunicated priest who plans on using her as the representative of the devil on Earth. Which, again, this is actually a pretty accurate summary of the film. Agreed. <laughs> they, 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 every now and then they come out with a winner, you know? <laughs> I am, even a blind nut tries a squirrel. <laughs> Wait, huh? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> and it is directed uh, by Peter Sykes. And not only do we have Christopher Lee in here, but we have a number of other recognizable faces for those of you who uh, may not be into classic films, you'll even recognize one or two, at least, to the people in here. Now, To Devil a Daughter, I will admit, I had not actually seen this full movie until uh, I watched it for the show. And I will say I was surprised at just how good this film is, though it is a breakaway from the Hammer films. Uh, Doc, we'll start with you tonight, because uh, you it's been a while since you've been in the room. How did you feel about to this, and when when did you just watch this film? This this is one that I've read about for years. Um, I you know with the, I have a long standing interest in Hammer films. I have piles of magazines regarding them specifically, and I I owned this movie on DVD for probably a good decade or so, and the reputation of this film had preceded it, and I had never managed to give it an opportunity. It's it's 
considered to be the last of the classic uh, run of horror, of Hammer Horror films. It's one of the last films they made during that period. And by most accounts, it was not their most shining moment. And I kind of let it sit there. And I should not have done so. It was much, it was a much bigger looking movie than I expected. It, it, you know, there was a lot of location work. It was a very, I'll, I'll say it, this movie creeped me out, man. <laughs> I just, <laughs> totally just creeped me out. So yes, points, points on all, uh, all, all, all different little levels on this one. It was much better than I expected. Yeah, I can completely agree with that. Uh, Scotty D, how about you? How would you feel about uh, this film, your initial thoughts with To Devil a Daughter? I uh, first saw it, I would say, ooh, I guess it would have been uh, whenever Anchor Bay released their version on uh, uh, on DVD. That's the one uh, I have, yeah. Yeah, which was maybe like about uh, either 10 to 15 years ago or something like that. And um, uh, that was the first time I got a chance to see it. I knew it uh, as... Doc said, by reputation, uh, I knew that uh, at the time I knew it as being one of the last hammers, and I knew it being a very early film from this, for Nastasia Kinski, who plays the young girl Catherine in the film. Uh, and uh, also, you know, the, the controversy that ensued from that. And uh, watching that film then, I watched again last night to refresh my memory. I agree. If I'm not mistaken, this got some pretty terrible reviews when it came out. And it was actually looked on as being a complete of a failure by a lot of the people at Hammer, even. A lot of the people on the cast and crew were not happy with it. The film got rewritten a lot. You know, they added stuff in after the fact, such as that kind of goofy-looking hand puppet. Got, was, if, mm-hmm. you notice, if you notice, that's only in close-ups. No one's actually on screen when that's happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and so there's lots of... So, but, so for such a troubled film, I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, it's not perfect. It's got some real issues into it, which I'm expecting we'll get into later on. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm going to be just very vague right now. Um but uh, I, I still enjoy this movie quite a great deal. I think it, they assembled a really great cast for it. You know, you got Christopher Lee, you got Richard Woodmark, Denholm Elliott, Nastasia yes. Kinski. Uh, you know, all, great, great cast, amazing cast. Uh, Peter Sykes, who was coming off some good TV work and a couple good films for Hammer. Next film he would do, uh, and the last theatrical film he would do would be, ironically, Jesus, which I find kind of interesting. <laughs> when you compare, like, he went from To the Devil a Daughter... To Jesus, the one that was the same movie that got uh, circulated to like every single church in like yeah. the world. You know, I I I still find the film to be very entertaining, not perfect, but you know, I don't like perfect movies either. So I mean, mm-hmm. I actually kind of like the rough edges of this film and all, even though I'm kind of say like, ooh, imagine if they could have actually done pulled something off here. So. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Paul, how about you? Your uh, initial feelings with To Devil a Daughter? When did you first see it? Uh, let's see. Um, I think I first saw this yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I love really... this. This is like a new watch for almost all of us here. <laughs> um, I didn't hate it. Okay. Well, that's, well, that's a start. Put it. Yes. <laughs> it was definitely, there were some scenes in there that we will, I'm sure, talk about that I did not like. I thought they were kind of cheesy. Sure. Even, you know. Mm-hmm. Even with my lower expectations, because I didn't expect to have very much 
uh, expectation for this film to be interesting to me. There were, that said, things that did interest me. So, and I hope we do get to talk about those as well. Well, that's why I asked each of you to bring a question or two for the group to bring, so you can definitely bring it up uh, when we get to that point. Because mm-hmm. I love, I'm, I'm very curious to hear what uh, questions you guys have brought to the show. And last, Cole, uh, but not least, uh, what was your feelings on this? You just watched this recently as well, didn't you? Yeah, man. I just uh, I just finished watching it for the first time. For starters, it was kind of like returning home because so many quotes of this are scattered throughout the White Zombie albums, mm-hmm. like all over the place, and not just one or two songs. I mean, if you're a, a hardcore White Zombie and or Rob Zombie fan, as I am of both, even though they're not they're separate, really, if you do your research, it's one and the same. Right. Essentially, he just uh, left a band with his ex-girlfriend is really what happened. Um, you know, it was like returning home because I was able to put all of these these quotes, I was able to put a face to all of the shit I'd been listening to since I was a teenager. So just on a superficial level, that was really fun and cool. Like, holy crap, all of this stuff from all of these songs. And, you know, I listen to a lot of White Zombie when I'm filming horror movies. Like, it's the perfect, like, poison cure when you're in the middle of a, of a rough shoot and soaked in blood. And it's just perfect. Um, so that was great. And also, this film looks beautiful. Uh, the photographer, I've got it written down here, um, Cinematography by David Watkin, who also has done uh, some other tremendous-looking films, such as A Boy's Life. Um, is also one, one of the best things about A Boy's Life, aside from, obviously, De Niro's performance, is the way that movie looks. This movie looks wonderful. Uh, the cinematography is phenomenal the way the buildings look the way the the trees grow off of the buildings the way the candlelight flickers the costumes the way the actors are lit is all phenomenal and that's really good uh because there's not much of a memorable score and there's a lot of actors standing in one place talking at each other (laughs) which is not necessarily the best way to approach uh, a satanic film. You know, again, uh, Roman Polanski, I think he did a great film called The Ninth Gate, which also had a similar problem, which is you've got a bunch of people, pretty much, you know, basically narcissistic squares standing there talking at each other about Satan. And uh, that's not necessarily the best way to approach a film about the devil. So, I, you know, I had that problem with it, but even so, I mean, the movie looks great. I don't think it succeeds as a movie that is trying to entice the threat of Satan, you know, on, on any level. Um, I, I think, you know, it pales in comparison to, obviously, The Exorcist, but even, like, something like Ninth Gate or, you know, even The Weakest of the Lot, I don't think it, entice, it entices much fear along those lines. But, again, this is Hammer. So it's not really, it's not necessarily playing in that court. I can say I enjoyed watching this mm-hmm. for, for very personal reasons. The white zombie connection, the, the cinematography, and just the overall cheesiness of it, you know, uh, if that makes sense. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the fact that within halfway into this movie, I knew it was going nowhere. You know, it wasn't, you know, it, it, Christopher Lee is great, but... I knew it was going to kind of end at an anticlimactic sort of cheesy special effect, 
which it does. You know, the whole right. pinnacle of the climax is a rock being thrown in somebody's face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Built, True. You know, um, and that's fine. I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm just saying, you know, as somebody who's seen a lot of satanic thrillers, this is kind of middle of the road. Depending on your endurance for cheese, it, you, you know, you might knock my three stars up or down a star. You know <laughs> what I mean? I, I think this is an average satanic thriller that has some fun moments. And I, I would watch it again over some beers with some good buddies for sure. Well, you know? for me, I, I can understand the cheese. I mean, it's 76, and it is, it is Hammer. And, and Hammer does uh, some of their films, as fun as they are, uh, they do get some cheesy moments in here. But see, that's that's why I love this group. Everybody approached differently. I never once took as the actual Satan uh, until we saw the the creepy baby. But even then, um, up until really that point, and even after that point, still, I didn't take it so much as the main focus being Satan and the the threat of evil, like the Exorcist. Gotcha. I, I looked at this as more of an approach of. Because this is 76, and it was a popular subject at the time, cults. Yes. Just, just cults and brainwashing. That, for me, was more of core of the story. The, the demonic stuff at the end was a little bit more superfluous, but for like three quarters of this film, I mean, let's see, face it, first off, I love the fact, and did anyone else catch this? Uh, uh, Paul, I want to get your opinion to see if I'm off on it. How would you feel about the fact... I mean, we get 20 or 30 minutes in before we actually really get what's going on presented to us. Because we have guys who look like Catholic priests and nuns, and and we're not quite sure what's going on. Did you get that gist, or did you pick up right away what was going on? Uh, because I actually read the description ahead of time, I already knew. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> uh, but still, you're you're absolutely correct. They they do prolong that time period, and you are supposed to be kept guessing. Uh, I was actually while while I was watching it, felt like, hey, wow, this is kind of like a a retelling of a vampire story, you mm-hmm. know. But then then they did when they did kind of go off into the Satanist type of uh, the spinoff cults was very uh, much in there. So I do agree with you. It, uh, it it took time to develop, and that's probably why I sort of lost interest in the mm-hmm. film, because it didn't hold me very and, well. And I can understand that. And for me, though, I appreciate that, because personally, mm-hmm. especially with modern films, and yes, I'm, I, I got my lawn moment, <laughs> that's why I kind of like it, because a lot of films, especially films like this nowadays, they, they present right up front, I mean, within the first you know chunk of time, Right away, they they spell, well. This is what you know. These guys are trying to raise Satan and whatnot. <laughs> I, I I liked the fact that this film took its time to give you exactly what was going on. But they know. did that at the end too. They just kind of like 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 Cole said. It it ended with a rock. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it um, wasn't even the good rock, you know. <laughs> <laughs> reading, reading up on it, uh, it, it ended running into some production problems near the end. It, it sounds like the uh, ending was a bit rushed, not exactly. Yeah. It was, yes, it, it was. Uh, I was looking for a book and that laid it all out that I have in my collection, but I couldn't find it. But I do recall that they were constantly rewriting this during the production. And uh, one of the main things, that, as, as I mentioned before with the baby and stuff, and one of the main things that got rewritten was 
they had to really rush the ending. Uh, apparently, the original ending was a lot more spiritual, elaborate, and probably more psychological from what, what they've said. But yeah, so yeah, the the, end, the ending. Let's let's just say it right now, guys, is the weakest part. <laughs> it is. It is a bit of a weak part. I didn't mind the weak ending, though. I kind of actually liked the simple ending. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I was. I thought I oh, loved the okay. shot. Of, I loved the shot of. Richard Wigmark on one side and Christopher Lee on the other, like on Showdown. Yeah. But instead of a Western, it was like a cult. I loved that. But then, like, oh, all right. And then all of a sudden, bing! Like, oh, that that's it. Oh, <laughs> God, the devil's a pussy. <laughs> that's why he needed a different body. Oh, my gosh. According to IMDb, uh, they actually had planned that uh, the father, Rainer, played by Christopher Lee, was actually supposed to get up after the rock was thrown, and he was supposed to um, leave the circle and actually chase after uh, the two. And it was supposed to be a little more dramatic of an ending, but they, they did not. Uh, apparently they filmed it, but none of the footage could sur- has survived. <laughs> so no one has footage of the actual ending. Uh, that they wanted to give this film, apparently. Well, you know, it, were they going to be playing yakety sax in the background as they were chased as well? No, no, that would that would have been really fun. <laughs> you, you know, you did mention uh, the um, if if I can just say that you did mention the, the the pacing of the film being so mysterious. I was caught by that too, and I remembered that. But um, as uh, as Doc said, that he had always he's a Hammer fan who had always meant to come to this film and he hadn't. Uh, I when we were doing the show, I said, I'm going to get to a Hammer film I always meant to get to that I hadn't gotten to yet, which was The Devil Rides Out. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I know. It was so good. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank but, you, because was, that was going to be one of my questions. Who had seen that and who hadn't? I've watched I, that one years ago. That one's, if you ever watched The Raven with Vincent Price and wanted yes. it to be more serious, that's The Devil Rides Out. Oh, wow. Yeah, I watched uh, that Dude. a few days ago, finally, because the reason I did that is because that was the first Hammer film that was based on a novel by Dennis Wheatley, Dennis Wheatley. As, the, as this was. Yeah. Um, uh, they did uh, books. They did films of, of that, uh, uh, Lost Continent, which was based on one of his adventure stories, and this, which is the other Black Magic one they did. Now... Devil Rides Out, for those, I don't know how... how Doc Strange movie starring Christopher Lee is, the, is Doc Strange. Yeah. Uh, another way many, to describe it. Anybody else here see it? I was going to try and review it again yesterday, and I just ran out of time, because I haven't watched it in forever, but I, I remember loving it to death when I saw it. Just well, shocked. Like, yeah, like, fi- like five minutes after that movie starts... We're just running, yeah, and we just don't, and you just don't stop. And it gets there's serious parts, and then there's absolutely goofy parts, like a giant tarantula that comes into a room, which is just hilarious. It's probably not mm-hmm. supposed to be hilarious, but it is. <laughs> uh, you know, Charles Gray is a cult leader, and you know pretty much what's going on the whole time from the beginning. Boom! But hey. it's just a big chase. I'm the this good guy. The- That's the bad guy. Now we must magic fight. Yes, yeah. and this is the exact opposite. opposite. Very, very mysterious. They keep you in the dark. You don't even know, as Mark said. The reason I'm bringing it, I brought it up is because Mark, you were mentioning that you don't know that Christopher Lee is part of the bad guys until later, until that great shot in this movie where they're giving where the the woman's trying to give birth, <laughs> and you still don't know what's going on. You think for all they you know they could still be trying to help her somehow. Yeah. And you see these repulsed looks on these doctors, and then you just see this absolutely 
giddy look on Christopher <laughs> Lee's face. Yes. It's great. And you don't know until that moment. Like, oh. And so, you don't know for sure that what's going on until Richard Whitmark says, like, what is this necklace that you're wearing? And Nastasia Kinski says, it's our Lord, Astaroth. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> we, you said Lord. We just assumed. <laughs> but, yep. wait, they, they, they tied up, was it Margaret? Is it? Was it Margaret? That Margaret, yes. Yeah. So they tied her up, and and you thought that that was normal? <laughs> not normal. Know. No, no, helping. not normal. He said helping. Oh, helping. That was, I'm not helping. sure, yeah. but it was not what's helping. The, what's the film? What's the film that that a lot of these uh, demonic films were imitating around the time? Exorcist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I thought it was something like that. See, but they did a much better job. <laughs> Well, See, of course well, they had they had Border Brothers money. This is like hammer after hammer money. Hammer who never had money. they lost all their money on the on the buses films. Mm. <laughs> 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 it, hammer Hammer never didn't have a huge budget to begin with, and and this you know this had even less because it was one of their you know considered their last film in that. So they did do it better, but I did like the misdirection in the fact of the the priests and the nuns dressed up and they referring to just Lord and we don't actually get any image of the Astaroth straddling the upside down cross which I love, I love that. <laughs> and then you get the satanic orgy not long after that either so there's that I love the, 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 the tamest satanic orgy you may ever see that was but artistic, still, but still racy, which I loved. But, but yes, still artistic. Racy for hammer, it was very artistic. But still racy for Hammer, which is so great. Yeah, but, there was, but there was not, well... Still racy no, for the 70s, come on. No, they, well, were, they were trying... They had toplessness by then, and, and there wasn't really a lot of that in that sequence that I recall. There was a little bit. I mean, they had they, yeah. they had they had they had some doggy style stuff going on, which I did not remember. <laughs> I had watched this years ago. I'm like, whoa, there's a surprise. Yeah. But um, the <laughs> but like the great thing was that Hammer was trying, I think, to and you, Doc, it sounds like you have a greater knowledge. So if I'm off on any of this, please. Sure. Um, the uh, you know, it sounds like Hammer was trying to respond to the times, and they had been doing this since, like, the mid-60s, Yeah. Uh, saying, like, okay, films are getting a little more violent, they're getting a little more sexual, they have a ratings board now and everything. Okay, we have to go push a little further. And they were, did push further in, like, some of the later Frankenstein films, the later Dracula films, the uh, Karnstein trilogy. Yeah. And then this, but still, even when they were really going for more kind of more sensual and violent material, it still paled in con- in uh, comparison to, say, Dario Argento or something like that, you know? <laughs> well, for goodness sakes, we are British. We're not going to necessarily yeah, I know. show our bums everywhere. <laughs> but but for a Hammer film, even from, uh, from the ones that I've watched, it did surprise me that this one did go as far as it did. Um, you know, for we did have some toplessness, but uh, yeah, you know, I I think this film it gets a bad rap though. I I I like I say I loved some of the misdirection in the beginning for what exactly was going on, but then when it gets revealed, man, if you're gonna have an idol to worship that uh, symbolizes Satan, some guy straddling an upside down cross, it, there's no subtlety there. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. You guys are Satanists, aren't you? <laughs> what gave it away? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So uh, I want to go down the row here. Doc, you, you mentioned already kind of we 
already started talking with uh, your question about uh, the devil rides out. Did you have another question that you wanted to talk to with the group? I suppose not so much uh, a question. There, there's two brief comedic appearances mm-hmm. in the film. Um, one by Brian Wilde as the the caretaker of the black room, and then as Fr- and Francis de la Tour as the spokesperson for the Salvation Army, <laughs> who have taken over the former location of the static cult. Um, I suppose it, it, we kind of talked a little bit about it already, in, in so much that Hammer has always had that that little moment that would always have that thread in, in the darkest, in the most evil moments. You'd still have some character that pops out of nowhere as the comic relief briefly. And it fascinated me to some degree. And both, the, both of these were well-known television comic actors at the time. And for them to appear in a Hammer film, I understand, you know, they, they Hammer made a number of, of television-based movies. Uh, uh, Scott mentioned the On the Buses ones. Going back to the 50s, they did those too. And it, it, it made me if if that was some way to get a little bit more cred in that regard. You know, we've got Richard Widmark. We've you know, it's solidifying that cast. Hi, even in our brief comic moments, we've got that guy that you see every week. We've got that lady that you see every week to just give them that little hey, please give us some money so we can do another one of these movies, please. Which isn't really a question. No. But no. it all sounded like things that needed to be said to some degree. So I've said them. <laughs> no, that, that, that's fine. You, you do bring up a point. Uh, there were a few humorous bits in here. Uh, what about you, Cole? Did you find some humor within a few of these scenes? You mentioned the oh, so Yeah, 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 man. I, you know, again, I have that personal connection with the, the white zombie song. So I was... Mm-hmm grinning through two-thirds of this. <laughs> I really was. I, you know, I'm an old, old school. I mean, I was listening to White Zombie on cassette, for God's sake. I mean, I go way, way back. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and to me, just, you know, cheesy is not a bad thing. I, I have made cheesy movies. You know, <laughs> just, just the explanations that come in these long stretches of dialogue are are fantastic. You know, the camera's stagnant. You've got these beautiful, beautiful sets. And you've got these um, actors who have probably been working for 40-plus years uh, reading these <laughs> ludicrous lines about uh, uh, Satan. And, and I, I think that's hilarious. You know, I really do. Um, I think it's fantastic. It also reminds me of, like, the Amityville Horror, the original version, which is, 70, I'm not sure what year, right. but just how nobody except for the guy who played the priest, again, for some reason the actor's name has slipped my head, very famous actor, but nobody but him believed in any of it, even having talked to the original, the real people who were involved in it. They just didn't buy it, so they went in there, and they just all had, had fun with this material, and I'll tell you, I love that first incarnation of Amityville Horror, you know, I, I still think nobody's filmed the book correctly. As bullshit as the book may or may not be, if you were to film that book, you'd have a you'd have an epic little horror movie with pigs and glowing eyes and swarms of flies and black ooze squirting out of the walls. It'd be great. Yeah. Um, but anyways, this yeah, I I thought this film was hilarious and not in a condescending way. Sure. I really I enjoyed that about it. Um, mm-hmm. But again, you know, it's hammer shit. I mean, 
I knew that going in. I mean, what? I love Hammer. You know, I I like Hammer like like a drunk uncle. You know, <laughs> I do. How about you, uh, Paul? With uh, any of the humor in here strike you? Uh, did you did you find some humor within this film? The only thing that I actually did find very humorous was the the when when they were going in there and they were asking about the the children of the Lord and that they were all kind of singing and and just kind of like you know we're all children of the Lord and it was that I thought was humorous and everything else wasn't as as funny to me as I wanted mm-hmm. it to be. That's so. the Salvation Army sequence. The Salvation Army yeah. sequence. Yeah. That 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 sequence just surprised me. I'm like, well, this this is actually a bit lighter moment in the film. <laughs> it needed it needed it to though. It, they really did need that moment in there because at that point you you were either fully like totally emerged in this kind of like dragging on uh, serious mystery thing, like you were talking about. You know, trying to delve into it, and it, you just needed something to say. Okay, yep, let's. Let's get the movie going from this point on, mm-hmm. and I think from that point on, it did feel like it was moving along at a better pace. Yeah, it, it, it did actually pick after that scene. Actually, it's it's. I think it picks up when she. Uh, I loved what they did with Christopher Lee. Just fantastic. I mean, Christopher yeah. Lee. You gotta love. Lee. You gotta <laughs> love this man because no matter what role in whatever film, and we talked about this in the Howling films. Uh, with on Astro Radio Z, you should check out those episodes. Uh, it, no matter what role he's in, he just plays it. I mean, he he is there to play a character, and he's playing it. You know, he's like, I don't care how the director thinks I should play this character. I'm doing it this way. This is what I'm doing, and I'm getting full in. And it always feels like he's full in on the character, regardless of the type of film, whether or not it's so bad or so good. And I love that about him. And in here. Man, does he just sell the whole powers thing, which I thought they handled well. But it really takes off when he finally gets in touch with the Catherine character and makes her uh, kill the one lady with, was it, a comb? <laughs> yeah, it was like a sharp edge of a comb or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't quite sure. It was some sort of accoutrement like that, yeah. Yeah, but that, they didn't show it very well. But... Poor honor, Blackman. Yeah. <laughs> but the film, no what? honor in that. No bra either. <laughs> no bra. <laughs> well, it's the '76, so no one wore a bra really, including our our uh, actress Catherine. But uh, we'll get to her in just a little bit. But uh, Paul, how about you, sir? Did you have a question or something that you wanted to state about the film that you wanted us to talk about? Well, only because uh, it's going to sound like I was kind of bashing the film all the way through. Uh, I'm just going to. Uh, Ask what was your favorite part of it, and I'm going to tell you what my favorite one is, so oh. that everyone doesn't think that I totally hated this film, which I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like we don't. We don't think like that at all, Paul. We know if anyone's been listening, and if you haven't, check out our past episodes on SpecialMarkProductions.com. Yep. Um, if you have been listening to this, you know, you, you, Paula uh, it doesn't just usually outright hate a film, unlike some of us others. <laughs> Uh, favorite parts. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Cole. Why don't you go first? Oh, what was? Did you have a favorite part in this film? Boy, um, man, I, I, you know, honestly, I did not have a favorite scene. Although I just finished it, so hmm. I haven't really dig- digested it. I mean, my favorite part is is just the cinematography mm-hmm. and the way the movie looks and the way that the 
the camera angles line up and, and the lighting on the actors' faces and the deep shadows and the sets and, and all of that is is fantastic and, and and very hard to get having just done a film with low lighting and, and grain and uh, it's hard. You know, they, they did a fantastic job with the look of this film. It looks like something sinister could happen in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's my favorite part. It's just the way the movie looks. And, and uh, one second, I just want to read this uh, cinematographer's name once more, David Watkin. Um, did phenomenal, phenomenal work uh, on this film, for sure. And, and Doc, how about you? Did you have, uh, is there a particular moment or a scene in this film that you really enjoyed? Um, yeah, after the question got asked, I thought for a second, and because <laughs> I, I, I mentioned when we first started talking about it that it, it, the movie creeped me out, and the reason, not to get into it in the event we discuss it later, but you watch a Frankenstein film, you watch a Dracula film, there's always that layer of unreality to it, and, and no matter what you may think about uh, whether there are gods and demons and, and, and devils in this world, the fact that those people believed scares the living crap out of me. <laughs> that's what makes this movie creepy. It's, it's, it's very much, you see it every once in a while around you where you go, you're into this a little too deep. And it, it, like uh, Richard Widmark says at one point, 98% of the Satanists in the world are just there to get some free sex. Mm-hmm. It's the 2% you got to worry about, and that's what this group is. <laughs> it's the, I, I, the, the way that they'll give themselves over. So it's the moment, the sequence where near the end of the film, um, the one character that's been like the mother figure to Catherine uh, starts, not only gives her blood for that final ceremony that they're going to need to do, she's pumping it out of herself into bags for, for them to use. That freaked me out. Because <laughs> just the, the, she's not stopping. The only reason she stopped is that she ran out of energy to continue to pump blood from her body. That was awesomely creepy to me. <laughs> in, in a very simple, very understated in a lot of ways, but just ooh, the thought process that goes through where you go, this is the best thing for me to do with what's left of my life. Ooh. <laughs> and I agree with you, and that's why I think this film appealed to me so much, because... It, all up until pretty much that ceremony where we get Demon Baby, I, I I think if we didn't have that, this film would probably even be received better because up until that point, I just took this as crazy people cult. Could be you, hypnotism. You, there was a lot of it where it could that could have just been a post-hypnotic suggestion or whatever. Yes, yeah. suggestion. I mean, Christopher Lee's character does make uh, Delome think he's holding a snake, but... Mm. He could have easily yeah. hypnotized them because they've met before. They do the whole pact thing. He Trigger know, word over the phone as they're talking, and boom. Yeah, exactly. You know, there are a lot of things that keep you guessing, and I, I kind of wish they would have kept it like that rather than showing Demon Puppet Baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I have a feeling that was one of those changes made during production that someone said, oh, well, we yeah. need more of this, where – you know, personally, I would have been more creeped out had it been just a regular baby they sacrificed. Oh, no kidding. And, and that's kind of the implication. The demon baby seems to be in Catherine's head. Yeah, and, almost. Because you know, yeah. the baby that you see barely off screen looked normal from looked a normal. distance. That was also a because mo- it was so in the background. It was a, mm-hmm. holy shit, that just happened too. 
Well, and and that's well, what I took that as because it, there's no ceremony. You know, it just it just happens. It, there's no build up to it. It just like, oh crap! That's what he was doing with that. Well, and and they do play off that she may have been hallucinating the demon baby because mm-hmm. there is some hallucination implied in there as well. So she hallucinates um, a lot. So she, she does hallucinate a lot. So a, a great a great uh, mention of there in that. Yeah, that that creepy. Definitely creepy. Uh, and uh, Scott, what about you? Well, Mike, my, my questions. Uh, no, uh, or, your favorite, your favorite moment, Paul. Oh, favorite you. moment. Uh, I already mentioned it. Actually, okay. it was the uh, moment where you finally just figure out that Christopher Lee's uh, a real bad guy. <laughs> oh. And it, it was that one shot. That one shot, more more to the point, that one expression by Christopher mm. Lee, because it turns from the woman who's like <laughs> turns away, disgusted, the man who turns away from disgusted, and then goes, and then the camera stops on Christopher Lee, whose eyes are just bugged out, and he's like, yeah. I mean, it's the happiest moment of his life. This <laughs> this thing, it's just, it's just the most unsettling look you've ever seen. I mean, I defy anybody to not see that in the context of this film and not go, yeah! You know, it, it was just, I mean, it, and it goes to show it was, it was a great uh, directorial choice on the part of Peter Sykes and just shows, you know, how Christopher Lee got these characters, too. Yeah. How, how it wasn't just some guy playing dress up and everything. Like, no, this guy was uh, as Doc mentioned, like a true believer, and he was just totally on board with this. And it was just that look said so much, and it was just it was just really unsettling. That that mm-hmm. one shot got me more than yeah. anything else. Yeah. yeah, that's a really just unnerving shot. And Paul, it was your question. We come back to you. Uh, what about you? Uh, what I did like was there, there, the scene at the end where um, Christopher Lee's character does offer Kath, uh, Catherine, or mm-hmm. I think it's Catherine, yeah. uh, to our to our hero, and at that moment he actually did feel like a hero to me, because uh, up to that point he just didn't seem like very heroic, and the fact that he he did um, basically the right thing, he wasn't he wasn't going he could have. He could have accepted her, let her basically get possessed by the the devil lord, and and he probably could have benefited from that and and joined the cult. But he didn't. He he actually picked up the rock and you know he did something with it. And to me that that showed his character uh, turning full circle, uh, and that was one of the best things about this film that I liked. And it also created kind of this bookend to me I love movies with bookends you kind of start out the story with those two characters and you end the story with those two characters and I just loved that part of the movie great to hear that you enjoyed uh, chunks of the film anyway <laughs> uh, and uh, Scott did you have a something you wanted to bring up or a question for the group oh uh, well see my I was gonna say my two questions my questions uh, I, quite, I'm imagining we're going to talk about the actors already, still, or, or are we not? We, whatever you want to bring up. Because right. my questions, my, I have questions that are about, I have a question about the actor, one of the actors, and I have a questions that are more about the legacy of the film rather than the film itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. So uh, you want to save it or you want to do it now? <laughs> we can, uh, we'll talk about the legacy. Let's talk about the legacy at the end of the, uh, All right. uh, near the end. So, okay, well, uh, the only about the actor. I, I'm a huge fan of Nastasia Kinski. Mm-hmm. Um, 
See, I wasn't going to ask this question here, but here's, but you know, Paul kind of brought up a little bit. We all kind of got a little uncomfortable with that scene. I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, what rational man wouldn't? Yes. Well, here's the thing: is that Nastasia Kinski, and uh, she was playing 18 in the movie, but she was 14 when she filmed the film movie. That's what I thought. Yeah. 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 That's what I remembered. And because uh, we just did a, a taxi driver show. So. Yeah. Let's just do a taxi yeah. driver show. I'm so, I'm so so we're got the so we've got and, like the and there was a. Brooke, uh, Brooke Shields movie in the 70s where something like that happened too, if memory yes, serves. I, was actually yeah. gonna bring I just that can't up. remember the name of it offhand. Pretty Baby. I was actually going to bring baby. that up. Pretty Baby, thank you. Yes. And I was going to bring this up actually is that uh, Nastasia Kinski, uh, this was, um, I don't know, it's, it's among her first films, but it's not her first film. Her first film was actually done uh, the year before. It was called Wrong Move. It was a film by Vim Benders. Mm. Uh, very classy movie. It, it didn't get re- released here in the States until 1980. Uh, and that's how I saw it. I was doing a lot of films from 1980 for a column last year, and I saw that film. And that film, of course, so she would have been a year younger. And her first film, and there's a full frontal shots of her in that as well. Wow. For a seduction scene, yeah. Uh, 1976, uh, folks. <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing yeah. is that, you know, and, and she's, um, <laughs> you know, of course she was um, – there was this weird over-sexualization. And you can say, okay, it's European films. They kind of stress that a little younger over there sometimes, especially in that age. But as Doc mentioned, we, in America we did that with Brooke Shields with Pretty Baby, Blue Lagoon. Uh, a Calvin Klein's ad campaigns where, I'm sorry, if you, if you looked at that, those ads now, you'd be horrified. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that uh, – so a lot of us – I wanted to know how – uh, two questions about her. One, how did this uh, did did this disturb you too much about the film? Did it take you out of the film? And two, uh, what people think of Nastasia Kinski as an actress? Because I've mentioned how yes, I was disturbed by that. Of course, you're disturbed by that. You know, you you're not getting turned on by that. Um, but also, I'm a huge fan of Nastasia Kinski as an actress. She's actually my favorite actress. Oh wow. Oh, it's, nice. Which is why why I asked to do the show. Sure. Um, I'm a huge fan of hers. Uh, I will say that she's my favorite actress, even though I will concede that probably at least half of her movies are crap. <laughs> <laughs> she got cast in a lot, especially in like the 90s and 2000s. She got cast in a lot of bad movies. Sure. Uh, she always committed to them, but did yeah, not the greatest films. Uh, but if you, but I mean, I think that if you look at her in films like uh, Tess, mm-hmm. uh, Cat People, uh, Hotel New Hampshire, uh, some of the other films she did for Vim Vendors, such as Paris, Texas, or Far Away So Close, uh, you know, lots of great works there. And I was so I was going to ask uh, the two-part question about the that was not legacy-based was, did that scene take you out of the film entirely, uh, or and? If anybody had any uh, opinions of her as an actress apart from this film? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Paul, how about you first? Uh, it did not bother me. I didn't even know that she was underage. Uh, in fact, I was more focused on the fact that my bookend was happening, that you had the heroic moment. So it didn't It didn't even dawn on me. It was just like, like it was mentioned. She was an 18-year-old. I assumed she was an 18-year-old actress. Didn't bother me. Uh, as... As for her as an actress, I've only ever really seen her in Cat People, and I loved her in that film. Yeah. Absolutely loved her in that film. Awesome. Cole, what about you, sir? 
Um, well, you know, having known how old she is, yeah, it bothered me. I think 14 is way, way too young to be doing a nude scene. Uh, I, I have questions about whether children should be allowed in films at all, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and I'm not, I know I'm not the only one. There are, there are many, many mainstream directors who feel the same way I do, that uh, you can CG a baby now. There's, there should be probably be no babies in films. <laughs> and uh, for sure there should be no uh, fucking 14-year-old girls naked in films. You know, that, that's my flat-out opinion. Uh, that being said, I did a little film which Scott has seen called Shadows of Savenville, which I directed when I was 24, where I had a, a kiss among two gothic teenagers and the, the young lady in it, uh, Morgan, you know, ha came up with this idea that she wanted to reach down for his package during the kiss. And I said, yeah. I mean, she was 17. I was a 24-year-old director, and I filmed it, and it made the scene better. So I'm not going to sit on a high horse and say, I mean, there was no nudity and there was no contact. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just saying times change. I mean, and it was 1976, and I'm sure these people didn't think they were committing a crime. Um, and I'm sure a lot of the people on the crew were young. And uh, things change when you have kids and your perceptions change. And, and uh, yeah, kids should not be used in that capacity. But I, I am willing to concede to the fact that in the heat of the moment on a set to do a wonderful film, it's like a fucking war. And sometimes you'll get caught up in the heat of the battle. So I'll say that. Okay. And Doc, what about you? It didn't take me out of the film completely because I didn't, I wasn't sure. My brain did say, I think she's only 14, dude. And I went, oh, and then by then the scene was, the, the moment was over and I went, oh, phew. Um, so I wasn't comfortable through it because the back of my brain was reminding me of things that uh, I hadn't read in a long time. So I didn't get completely dragged out where then when the story continued, I, I it took me a minute to get back in, but it was enough to go, oh. Um, <laughs> I, I'm familiar with some of her other work, but I can't really say that I'm uh, familiar, familiar with <laughs> some of her later work uh, to have a, a, a really strong opinion about her one way or the other, but I, I've got nothing certainly negative to say about her. I think she's a, a fine actress from what little I do know about her uh, ability. I, I, I will say that, um, yeah, I didn't know her age either. I actually thought she was 18, but it, even still, I thought it was like, okay, we didn't really need that scene in there. Uh, it didn't take me out of the film, and then especially after I found out, uh, I was like, holy crap, she was 14 in that. I can't believe they got away with doing that um, because I didn't think that was that was right, especially at you know if she was you know she was actually 14 at the time. So um, that didn't take me out of the film, but it did kind of take me aback, and I thought it was a little abrupt, and I was like, yeah. By this point in the film, I didn't think it was actually needed. Uh, at least the full shot, you didn't necessarily need to. 
Oh, hell no! You know, yeah, that's, no, yeah, that's the was, other side to it. It was exploitation. It was pure it, it exploitation. It was a complete exploitation, Chef. But, but it was of a minor is the thing, yeah. yeah. It, because it was of a minor, too, that I was yeah. just like, well, they could have approached that completely differently and still got the same effect, you know, same, yeah. same idea. Not yeah. effect, but idea across that she was... You could have implied it and not shown it, and, right. and you everybody would have still... Shown, it's the temptation. It's the temptation shown from uh, the shoulders up mm-hmm. and had her dress on and show him fall off the shoulders and then have his reaction. And you'd know what yeah. was being implied. You didn't have to show it. And the fact that they showed it, it didn't take me out of it, but it actually I felt it was awkward because mm-hmm. I didn't think it was needed. And the way the rest of the movie had played out, I'm like, yeah, you know. But as far as her as an actress, I, I've only really seen her in this film, uh, you know, and I love her performance in this. Yeah. I, oh, I, she I gets thought, better. Trust me. I thought yeah. she <laughs> sold. I sh- I thought she sold the idea of a brainwashed teen very well. <laughs> you know, she didn't overdo it. She she felt genuine, like this is what she believes and how she was, you know grown up and there's nothing wrong with it and then there's the one scene with the um, mirrors she's freaking out in that uh, you know I thought she handled all of that very well it, it was very well performed I thought she did a great job especially after learning how young she was uh, you know she acted a lot older than she was she portrayed herself a lot older than she was and her acting skills were a lot better <laughs> than what I would have pegged for a 14-year-old, hmm. um, especially Great. when she's going in scenes up against these with these veteran actors and actresses. So I, I really liked her in this film and her performance, and that scene I thought was was kind of awkward and unnecessary, and then it was even more awkward when I found out what how old she really was in the film, but it wasn't needed, but yeah. so uh, She was a baby! I mean, 14? Yeah. That now, was... That's... She's but, probably had a weird. I'm, I don't know. I hadn't read like an autobiography or anything. But let's not forget she was. She's also the daughter of Klaus Kinski. This yeah. is true. Very so, true. Let's. So whether whatever happened during her childhood, she was surrounded by art, and she was also surrounded by a certain amount of madness mm-hmm. and kind of skewed upbringing stuff. Now. She was sexualized from a very young age. Because if you look at a lot of the films that she did just throughout the 70s, well, 80s as well, but I mean, even starting in the films of the 70s, what I'm saying is that she was overly sexualized in a lot of those films. And then, uh, and, and then going onwards, you know, but uh, so her sexuality was always uh, prominent in probably for like the, I would say, at least like the first 10 to 15 years of her film career sure. in virtually every film she did. However, she also on the side also was able to show like a lot of great um uh acting ability uh you know as i said uh cat people tests uh hotel new hampshire a moon in the gutter uh lots of great movies lots of great movies but that i didn't even know this until you guys brought it up but that actually does make more sense to me why they had that that ceremonial kind of like scene you know where they had basically a stand in essentially you know yeah. And that makes yeah. more sense to me now that it it never dawned on me until you guys mentioned it now. So that it, that the one of the scenes that I hated about the movie that I didn't understand actually makes more sense to me now. No, oh. it's yeah. 
and also, and and also, you know, it, it's kind of the film a thing where I mean, I know we're talking about a lot of stuff, but it's kind of like when you're talking about this movie, it's kind of like the elephant in the room, mm. you know? Mm. I mean, it's it's there. You well, can't, you know, it's it's. Well, it's that's why I'm glad you kind of brought it up because I'm, you know, it would come up. You're talking about either how great or whatever this film is, and people will look at it going, "Yeah, but did you know this?" And so <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I didn't until I looked up stuff after the film, and then after the film, I was just like, "Okay." <laughs> Mark has the heebie-jeebies now. It was yeah. it was like one of those things where well, and it wasn't even and like I said, it wasn't even her first. Time yeah, it wasn't the first time, which is even more disturbing. But again, yeah. in Klaus's house, you must earn clothes. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> saying that was right. I'm just saying that the time that this happened was an unusual time as far as the concept of that goes, especially mm-hmm. in in theatrical Cinema. circles. So, yeah, I mean, let, let's face it, we've had this. Uh, we've had that crop up though in even modern films, not so much. I mean, uh, American Beauty. Yeah. Yeah. The professional. You, you look at American Beauty. American Beauty is a fantastic film. Yeah. But then you realize there's a topless scene with Mia Servani uh, in there, or uh, and I think she was 18 at the time, but her character is not 18 in the movie. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it's another one of those awkward type scenes. So I mean, this this has occurred later on, even after the 70s. Yeah. Um, that and and folks, we are not sitting here and saying that it's right necessarily, but it is there. It it is in these films, and I think it should be discussed uh, because it, it's there. <laughs> you know, this it this happens. is an element. It, it happens, and that's what's it, it. It's just it's mind blowing sometimes what was considered acceptable back then, especially for film. Uh, that today a lot of people, I mean, it would burn, you know, it would never make it to the screen, ever. No. It's a good thing that, oh. that times do change. So, yeah, yeah. It, uh, not everything not everything old was good, uh, but not everything new was good either. So uh, <laughs> I want to know who had to operate the hand puppet beast that ends up going <laughs> the leg of the 14-year-old. That, the, I the, mean, stand-in. the stand-in. The stand-in, yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Sure. Uh, I think I think all of that it was actually even added when once filming was completed, if I yeah, recall. Oh yeah, the monster. That was the, probably a month or two later. Yeah. yeah with, at least. With the creepy, with the creepy uh, baby. Because I know a lot of people who were watching the movie, who were actors in the movie, were surprised to see it. Mm-hmm. When they shot saw the film, they're like, what? <laughs> what was that? And they were like, they were kind of like, just like... Dumbfounded disgust, you know? They were disgusted by the uh, context of it, and they were just dumbfounded by how silly it looked as well. They thought it. They thought it. They thought a lot of. I heard at least one person, can't remember two, say that they thought it, that that ruined the movie. You know. <laughs> to be perfectly, it is a very awkward sequence, and I wasn't quite sure what that demon puppet. <laughs> balloon baby was trying to accomplish at first when it was in the vicinity of her person that it was i i thought it maybe was trying to go back home um and then it didn't go back home and then it just got creepier and weirder and yeah so yeah yeah i can understand a negative reaction to that sequence to be honest for a moment i went oh that's the scene we're talking about that's not so bad oh 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 no that 
I wanted it to do the Michigan J Frog thing. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> I've done the Michigan J Frog thing. <laughs> Not with a demon puppet balloon baby, but put that in a commercial instead of that damn dog thing. And on and on that note, <laughs> that should be on the movie poster. <laughs> I think. Wow. Oh man, no, the visuals I'm getting now, that's just <laughs> not right. So uh, I think we'll uh, sit here with a, a final thought and legacy that this film doesn't have the best reputation. It doesn't have, it's it considered good by many. I, I thought it was a, a decent film, but as far as Hammer goes, a lot of those devout Hammer fans did not like it because it went a little more extreme. It, it is still a film, though, that I see online and that still comes up every so often, and, and people do still talk about this film. Uh, so it is still out there, especially with it being one of, uh, considered one of Hammer's last films. So Let's go real quick. Uh, Scott, you said you had uh, just one mention or, or comment or question about the legacy of the film. Why don't you... I had a couple questions, if that's all right. I mean, you can say no or whatever. Well, uh, how about one of them? Because I don't want to go too late tonight. Okay. So. Um, well, I would have asked uh, if this uh, and uh, other films had been success successes because they'd had a lot of problems around this time. This is really their last hurrah. I think the la last theatrical film they had until their brief revival a few years ago mm -hmm. was the was a co-production of a remake of The Lady Vanishes, which was just com a completely pointless movie from 1979. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was completely pointless. Basically, like a, it, it felt like a TV movie remake of a of Hitchcock film, anyway, but uh, so this is their last horror film, really, until the revival. If this and other films around the time, like Captain Kronos and everything else, had been a success, what do you think the future of Hammer would have looked like going into the mid '70s, early '80s? Do you think they would have been able to stay if people were still going for this? Do you think they would have adapted or and would have been able to stay afloat? Once, say, films like Halloween and uh, or The Howling or anything like that were, com were coming around? Oh, good question. Let's go to uh, the hammer expert in my life, uh, Mr. Doc. Uh, Steve, <laughs> uh, what do you think? Um, there's there, – uh, I'm of two different minds of this. On one, on one side, the thought that had never actually occurred to me – uh, suddenly popped into my head as Scott was talking, and that was, what would a Hammer slasher film have looked like? Holy, that could have been outstanding <laughs> and fascinating. Um, the, the, the reality, to some degree, of the timing is that most of Hammer's modern-day, quote-unquote, at the time, set films were not considered to be as effective, at least at the time, and... and by some even still now as the the period piece gothic things the dracula ad 1972 it does not have the staying power that uh, dracula aka horror of dracula which oddly enough world premiere was in milwaukee wisconsin um awesome has uh and that's part of the reason why this film has the reaction that it does is, oh, it gets lumped in. Well, oh, it's just another one of those quote-unquote modern-day hammers, and they're not as good. And having watched it, I, I disagree 
from that perspective. I thought it was a very effective film, maybe not for the time period, but I, it didn't, it doesn't, to me, it didn't feel like a dated 70s film. Apart from the film stock, I wouldn't have been able to place it directly. It wasn't gaudy in the costumery. It wasn't, you know, dated in the architecture. And But word, without the, from a hammer business perspective, a lot of the names that had gotten them to that point uh, were no longer associated with the company. Uh, if they had a couple of successes with these uh, 70s, the mid-70s films where they could have lasted a little bit longer, gotten a couple of new fresh writing uh, teams in perhaps. Brian Clements, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde is a very underrated film in my opinion. I haven't watched it in a while and now all of a sudden I want to again because it manages to mix that story in with Burke and Hare and Jack the Ripper. Mm -hmm. And it's entertaining and it's ridiculous at times and because it's Brian Clements. It's, it's that weird sensibility he brought to the Avengers. If they could have established another wave of hammer if they had gotten enough money to stay afloat and even if it would have been a couple of semi-okay films like this to where that next generation would have been born then they could have probably stuck around for another 20 years because it just they would have clicked on something and found some way to cash in because hammer was about understanding what was going to work admittedly early on they they hung on to the gothic sensibility of horror, but this was them clearly trying to go and realize that was no longer working. We got to start making up and we got to start making uh, things that are going to click with the times. We're, we're going to make a co-production with Run Run Shaw and, and with Peter Cushing and make the, the Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. And it's going to be ridiculous, but <laughs> at the same time, the actual UK cut's not horrible. The American cut, yeah, it's, it makes no damn sense at all. Um, but they were they were trying, and and if they had, if these if any of these would have clicked enough where they could have continued to experiment and latched onto that next thing, yeah, maybe we'd talk about some weird Hammer slasher film, much like we do Jason and Freddy and Michael Myers and. Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that Hammer exists now in some degree, shape, or form makes me happy, but it's 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 not what Hammer was at the time. It's it's a name, and it has a cachet to it, and if it turns into a something, that's a beautiful thing. But I'm, at, right now, it, it feels more like a name, and it's it's been a name for the last. So let's be fair; it's been a name for the entirety of my 42 years of existence on this planet. But it's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great name to be associated with, and if 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 I you know I I don't think any of us if we hey you want to write a film for Hammer, I'd be I'd be down. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, that actually, was an impassioned rant, and I'm sorry. If that no, was, that, I have no clue what happened there for a while, but that was that was fantastic, Doc. No, that's just fine. Uh, Paul, anything to add about uh, how you felt? Uh, do you think they would have lasted, or how they would have done had they lasted? Yes, uh, I think they would have. Uh, deep down, I, I felt that they could definitely have evolved over, with the times because, you know, you, you see companies like Full Moon Entertainment, Troma, those type of things. I could see Hammer easily kind of fitting into those type of movies. And that's when I first started watching movies, and I enjoyed that type of, you know, movie, strangely enough. Uh, I think this because of the nostalgia of it. Uh, 
but yeah, Hammer could definitely have evolved, and I think it would have would have been a great uh, continue uh, you know continuation. Uh, and then there wouldn't have been a, a, a gap, and you know maybe the types of movies would have been different, and maybe the Full Moon Entertainment uh, films that I did enjoy watching probably maybe not have existed because Hammer would have been around instead. So would have been interesting to see what would have happened if they did continue. It, it definitely would have been interesting to see the direction they took, especially with, you know, after Halloween and that, uh, as uh, Scott had said. And, uh, Cole, anything to add? No, not at all, man. I think Steve is, you know, Steve said everything <laughs> I would have said and better. I'm, I'm no expert. I enjoy Hammer a lot. Um, you know, but, it, you know, for people who have listened to a few of our shows, I take myself way too seriously and, you know, I, I, I just I, I approach horror from an entirely different standpoint, which is how fucking disturbing can I make this? Can I can I completely shatter your psyche with my film? I like to hope so. But uh, Hammer to me is more of like you know, something you sit around with a bag of popcorn and enjoy. And and they have had far they have had the kind of success I can only dream of by doing something I don't know how to do which is extremely cheesy stuff that typically doesn't take itself too seriously. At least that's, that's the way I understand it. For me to appreciate the Hammer film, I've got to assume that they were really trying too hard. And maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I love Hammer for that reason. I love Hammer the same way I love Ed Wood. Uh, I just, and I may be way off again. I am not the expert that Steve is. Um, I love Hammer. Uh, but I, I can't say where they would have gone because, to me, I, I just enjoyed them for being kind of, I don't know, like almost like a, a Saturday Night Live sketch or something. I just enjoy it. <laughs> mm. That's just, But that's just me. I don't mean to offend anybody. There's, there's supernatural fairy tales a lot more often than a horror-type mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. And, and that takes on a different meaning, I think, at that point. And- different, it's a different style. But even the blood looks extremely. I mean, isn't it? It's not. None of it's meant to be taken seriously, is it? That's the fairy. That's the fairy tale aspect. Uh, of it. You're telling a story, and and you tell that story as a cautionary tale sometimes more so than you're not actually necessarily trying to tear. And and that's one of the things that gets me hung up on horror as a as a title sometimes. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things that are labeled as horror don't horrify me, but they tell me a story that intrigued me in that way. Understood. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Karloff's Frankenstein terrors, you know, horrifies me in in aspects, but it's mostly this little supernatural fairy tale about yeah. this man that comes back, you know, from bits and pieces. I yeah. love it. <laughs> and and for me, uh, Hammer. Whenever I heard Hammer, and this is just my own impression, and I could be just as off. Uh, I'm not the ex- expert either, but for the Hammer films that I have watched, that Doc. Uh, has introduced me to, I always think of, when you say cult film, people think of a certain level of either goodness, production quality, or whatnot, and also just cult film has just a little bit of a sleazy undertone to it, regardless of what the cult film might be. But for me, when I saw a Hammer film, I always pictured it as kind of a classy cult film. (laughs) Whatever... (laughs) If that makes sense, uh, you know, yeah, when, when I heard Hammer the name, 
I think of a classy cult film. I think of a film that isn't going to be a huge, you know, va- you know, high in production value necessarily. They're working on limited budget in that, uh, and it's going to have a, a, the feeling of films that people associate as cult films, but they're going to feel a bit classy. They feel gothic. You've got the elaborate kind of sets or, or costumes or whatnot, you know, that 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 type of feel, uh, you know, and, and even later on, you know, when you see Peter Cushing, even in Star Wars, when I see Peter Cushing, I think Hammer, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, and, and he had a, a class to him, and Lee had a class to him, and I think that's, for me, what I loved is I always felt that even, even to, regardless of the subject matter or how they put it was, uh, and that's what this film kind of shocked me a little was, you know, I always picture him as a little bit more classy type cult films, you know. And maybe it's because the actors uh, put in their all, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee especially, are putting their all into it. You know, you, you, these guys are serious actors, and you know they, they've got to know what type of film they're making, but they don't act like the type of film they're making. They're acting as if they're on a theater stage performing Shakespeare. Exactly. Yeah. So they're giving dialogue that is, you know, Dracula, go back to the hell from whence with you came. You know, I mean, you know, they're giving the cheesy dialogue, but they're putting so much effort and character into it, and that's what I've loved about Hammer. And I think, I guess, uh, to get to your question is, it would have been interesting to see them survive and, and carry on because I think... The type of uh, uh, slasher film, they, they probably would have eventually gotten to the slasher genre. It would have definitely been an interesting thing for them to see them approach. I think uh, you would have might have seen a little bit more uh, uh, um, historical slasher type films from them. You know, uh, that would seem like be in their style. Uh, so yeah, I, I think they would have a different style of slasher film. And uh, that's associated more with the little more classic Hammer. Um, and, yeah, I think they, it would have been interesting to see how they, they would have survived. And I think definitely would have changed the landscape of some of the horror films that we got uh, early on in, during the uh, rise of the horror slasher. So hopefully that answers your question, Scott. <laughs> so uh, we've gone a little bit longer tonight than expected, but that's okay because this is an interesting uh, hammer. Whenever you're talking hammer horror, uh, it always it turns into an interesting discussion. So, um, and you know that this film did kind of bookend their their first major run, if you will, because there has been trying to be a resurgence. But it, as Doc said, the name. And what they've produced isn't nearly where it was when that name first came out, I think. Uh, so I think we're going to go down the line here real quick. We'll just get your uh, uh, thought real quick with this film, and then also let us know where they can find you at when you're not babbling here. So, Cole, go ahead. Um, well, my final thoughts on this film are I, I'm glad to have seen it. I'm, I'm glad we did the show on it because I wouldn't have watched it otherwise. And um, It was nice hearing everybody's thoughts on Hammer Horror, for sure, because it's not my area of expertise, and I, you know, I'm anxious to learn as a filmmaker and, and a film buff. Right now you can find me on Facebook because it's free and movies are expensive. Cole Meredith 
or uh, my production company is Shadows and Lovers Productions. Our new movie is the last great horror movie, which uh, is going to be making the rounds during, uh, well, it's going to be making the rounds for, through 2016 and 2017 as much as I can possibly get it out there. Um, if you want to see some of my digital art, there's another Facebook page called Horror Roar. Um, again, Shadows and Lovers Productions, the movie is the last great horror movie. I'd love to see you around. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. Thank you very much for showing up. And Paul, how about you, sir? Uh, instead of pimping myself, I'd like to take an opportunity to pimp uh, festivals that I'm working with. A uh, great group of people are helping out. Uh, and what we're doing is we're putting together the Northeast Wisconsin Horror Festival. We're, we're still trying to get as many films uh, looked at as possible. So uh, go on to uh, Film Freeway and uh, look up Northeast Wisconsin Horror Film Festival and submit your film. Uh, we would love to watch it. We would love to screen it. And we just want to be able to show it in front of a bunch of people that are interested in horror, thrillers, uh, you know, different things like that, and it's just, it's it's a fun time. I invite everybody to, to join in and help, and if you want to find out more about the festival itself, you can go to newhorrorfest.com. Awesome. Scotty D. Opinion on the film is that, uh, you know, I, lots of Satan films around this time, mm. you could argue whether, you know, it fueled the satanic panic or just exploited it, you know, we, but, you know, and while the devil and daughter will never be considered in the same league as like The Exorcist or anything like that, I still find it a great entertaining film. I think it has some disturbing moments. I think it is a great cast. And in that it does tell a you know a quick story that's not completely bleak and everything like that. I actually find it more uh enjoyable on for an entertainment level uh, than, say, like a movie like The Omen or something that's, like that. So. That's a very good point, man. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I, w I would watch this again right before I would watch – before I would gear up to see The Omen again. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. And so then you can catch me at movieocrity.com, so I don't talk too much more because we all know I can. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm gonna solve. You can catch me at movieocrity.com. You can catch my uh, web series at uh, vimeo.com/channel/movieocrity. Please check them out all there because I just found out YouTube banned another one of my videos. Ah. <laughs> um, uh, but YouTube has been nicer to my other web series reaction shots. So. Uh, so, yeah, those are all the places you can catch me at right now. Awesome. Great stuff. And, Doc, why don't you uh, talk a little bit? Uh, I'm sure you got a, a thing or two of the plug uh, for those who may live in Wisco or visiting Milwaukee. Oh, hi. <laughs> um, hi. Real quick, real quick yes. Um, I did, uh, as I noted, really enjoy the film. Denholm Elliott, I'd like to point out, I really enjoyed his performance in this. Yeah. Uh, there was a strange resurgence in spirituality and religion and voodoo and all sorts of other things in the 70s, and this was definitely trying to grab onto that. Um, and its I don't think it's a, a hidden classic by any stretch of the imagination, but it is definitely, uh, if, if all you've ever read is somebody going, yeah, yeah. Watch it. It, it was. It, it's. It's definitely worth a watch, and if you have to close your eyes for ten, fifteen seconds near the end, that's 
not necessarily the worst choice in the world either if it makes you feel more comfortable. Um, that said, movie done. Okay. Uh, I, as Mark is alluding to slightly, I act slash perform around the Milwaukee area. Uh, I can be found on Facebook in that regard as Professor Thomas Tennant, spelled the way you would think based on the fact that my name is Doc. And uh, coming up on April the 1st, on April Fool's Day, if all goes to plan, I'll be performing one of my written sketches as part of Dead Man's Carnival at the Miramar Theater. Nice. Uh, Doors to the theater open at 7. Doors to the actual getting to sit down open at 8. Show starts about 8.30. Uh, it's, if you've never been and never experienced, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I'm not sure Pinky does at this point. Um, <laughs> but there could be strongmen. There could be acrobats. There will definitely be the house band, the Magnificence, rocking your face off, playing mostly songs from the 20s, 30s, and 40s because that's what they like. And they're awesome. And you know you they're awesome. You just don't know what they are because you haven't heard them in that context. They'll probably be fire eaters. They'll probably be magicians. There might be a a burlesque dancer or two. I don't know either, but it's going to be funny because it's April Fool's Day. <laughs> and apparently I'm funny enough to be included in that because, in part, I was there last month. Why was I there last month? I was there last month as part of Shakespeare Raw, who's uh, going to be back at Best Place at the historic Paps Brewery again on April 11th, 12th, and 13th, starting shows at 7.30. That's a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday because that's when they let us in. And we'll be uh, semi-coherently performing Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. Uh, as the expression goes, there's uh, no rehearsal, there's a lot of booze, and there'll be some uh, binders with scripts in them that we'll be reading from. At the beginning of every show, we pick a name out of a hat, and that's the character that all of a sudden we are forced to play. <laughs> and, that sounds awesome. And <laughs> it's fun. Last, last month we did this play that a few people have heard of. Uh, well, actually, this month. It's still March. Um, Hamlet? I think people have heard of Hamlet. I got to play Horatio and Guildenstern on <laughs> Monday and one on Wednesday. Wow. And I, one of my written stage uh, directions for Gildan's Journey was Sup Bro. <laughs> which, 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 which filled that character in rather nicely for me. And he became a, a rather impressive douchebag. And Rosencrantz and Gildan's Journey took a selfie on stage. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> every, night, every night there's a slightly different cast. And every night there's a slightly different mix because we pull names every day. You're not allowed to get the same act, you know, same character twice, and it's one part improv, one part Shakespeare, and one part beer. <laughs> <laughs> because Milwaukee, Wisconsin, hey, beer. If it's not involved in an event, well, then it's just not belonging in Wisconsin. Shakespeare at the Paps Brewery. There's going to be a Paps tasting room there by the summer, and MKE's moving into the same area within the next year or so, so it's going to be a hotbed. Just come drink beer and watch some goofy people play Shakespeare. Awesome. Great stuff, Doc. Thank you so much. And you can find links to all these fine folks as well as my stuff at specialmarkproductions.com. If, if you haven't heard that before, you've heard it now, go there, one-stop shop for all the stuff I do, plus our Spoiler Room archive, we are creeping ever so closer to a 100th episode. We will hit that this year. I am celebrating soon my 10th anniversary on YouTube in July. Lots of great stuff coming up. we got some great shows here. Next week, 
go figure, big surprise, we are going to talk in depth about Batman versus Superman, a divisive film that has got many people uh, fighting and talking online already, and some of those people haven't even seen it yet. So yeah, imagine <laughs> what that conversation will be like once we get people together who have seen it. Uh, well, tune in next week. Hope you've enjoyed this show. Please subscribe and comment to us on iTunes. We always love to hear feedback from you. And we appreciate every single one of you out there who have subscribed to the RSS feed who want to know when we have new episodes here on the Spoiler Room, where the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies. Now stop. It's hammer time. Uh... Mm.